Hello and welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm J.P. Batum, your host. Our theme, our message is intended to be a wide open forum, much like a Seinfeld show, where if there was something going on during your day that could easily make up a show, well, if there's a conversation about anything at all, that can make up a podcast. Hopefully, it'll be thought-provoking, but at the very least, entertaining. My father, the late John Batum, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal Commentary Show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. Throughout the many podcasts, I will be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history, and I hope you'll enjoy that. Our commentary, relevant and interesting, all the while we'll be hosting different guests along the way. All the commentary provided is strictly personal. With all that, let's get started. Today's guest is my brother, Perry Batum. So we'll uh, we'll be uh, getting a chance to talk to Perry and uh, find out what's going on with him and uh, should be an interesting conversation with two brothers kind of going at it. Nothing new in the in the Batum household. Anyways, uh, from there we're going to listen to a uh, football broadcast of John Batum. So let's join him right now. Good afternoon, everyone. This is John Batham along with Mike Wadsworth from CNE Stadium in Toronto. It's a cool afternoon, but it's a clear afternoon. Not a cloud in the sky. What a perfect day for the Toronto Argonauts and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. A record crowd expected here today for this very crucial football game in the fortunes of both the Tiger Cats and the Toronto Argonauts. I'm sure that you're well aware of the situation, but I'll just take a moment to recap. For the Argonauts, well, let's put it this way. They cannot afford to lose this ball game. They could still still survive with a tie, but the name of the game is to win. And if the Hamilton Tiger Cats should win this afternoon, that's it for the Toronto Argonauts as far as their hopes for a playoff berth are concerned. And next week's game would really be just going through the motions and finishing off the football season and playing for next year's contracts. And of course, naturally, a little bit of pride. The Argonauts could survive, as I said, with a tie this afternoon and then have to go into Hamilton and win that final game. But the intriguing part of all of this is that both the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts, while fighting for the last playoff berth and only two games remaining, could conceivably end up in second place in the Eastern Conference. That revolves around the Ottawa Roughriders. Should the Ottawa Roughriders lose their final game to the Alouettes? Well, and, and of course, the Argonauts or Ticats win both these games remaining in the next uh, two weeks. Well, and the Hamil- uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats or Argonauts would finish second, the Alouettes who have already wrapped up first, and the Ottawa Roughriders would fall down into third place. I don't think either team is really thinking in terms of second place here today. They're thinking of win, get it over with. For the Tiger Cats, I'm sure they don't want to go to that final game. They would not prefer to go into Hamilton, even though it's the friendly confines of their backyard, hoping to defeat the Toronto Argonauts. And I'm sure the Argonauts aren't thinking in terms of a tie. They have to come away with a victory here this afternoon. The setting is right. The teams are right. The rivalry over the years has been great. And as I mentioned, a record crowd expected here this afternoon and there are one or two small changes in terms of personnel. The interesting feature here is the fact that the Argonauts in the last five games have not played all that badly. They've only lost one and tied one. The Hamilton Tiger Cats haven't been successful in the last three or four games. And yet, many feel the Argonauts might not be able to do it against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. For his brilliant and expert assessment, Michael Wadsworth. 
Well, John, I think you pretty well summed up the importance of this. All right, that's fine, Mike. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> With respect to Hamilton, you can look at them and say that they have not won four, uh, have a win in their last four games. You got me so confused interrupting me like that, I don't know what to say. But they've gone without a win in their last four contests. Toronto, on the other hand, had an opportunity to get into third place and be in a much better position going into this home-and-home -home series when they were in Calgary last weekend and failed to come up with a real solid effort, uh, which would have allowed them, I think, if they had that mental attitude to the game, they would have been able to come away with a victory, but they did not. So that, in one sense, both clubs have a lot of negatives going into this game, and yet what you pointed out is the hope that is there for each of them, what they can achieve, not only this afternoon, but in the home-and-home -home series themselves. Not only third place, but the opportunity for second place, and what is significant about that, of course, is that in the semifinal playoff, you then have the home ground, and that is of great importance in terms of trying to achieve Eastern supremacy. So that a lot is on the line here for both clubs. There is a great history in terms of rivalry between them, and I think it's a, it's a game that you can only be able to determine as the play progresses how they're going to come up with it. Both camps are talking about enthusiasm, high hopes. We can only wait and see what the game tells itself. Mike, uh, we've talked about the Tiger Cats, and we've talked about the Toronto Argonauts, but really, you know, the amazing thing is there's so many combinations that exist right here in the Eastern Football Conference with only two games to go in the Eastern Conference race. Greg Fulton from the CFL office has all those statistics. He has all those possible combinations, and I want to find out from Greg. I'm not going to try and go through it. He's got the computer mind, and we'll join him in a moment. In a minute, more Canadian pro football from Toronto. Well, I'll, I'll I'll start us off. Um, I'm 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 here I'm here with my uh, my brother uh, Perry, and uh, I know Perry, you just got back from Florida, and uh, you're quarantined for for 14 days, and uh, I think the you got the whole family in there. So how's that going? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's almost the whole family. Probably missing one, which is good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Unprecedented totally times. Yeah, anything is totally different than anything uh, we've been through, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, we've been uh, going for some walks when we can, and uh, but we, we're strict, strictly with the rules. So strictly personal becomes strictly with the rules. <laughs> exactly. Kathy's making sure we all follow them. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, uh, you know what I thought we would do is I, I, I wanted to go back to North York, and you played for the Scarborough Ghosts football and uh, I wanted to really because I know we'll end up talking about football anyways but we might as well go back to where it all started for you so Scarborough goes football when you were about 10 years old uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that yeah that was uh, we well we yeah we had just moved from Regina um, and I guess uh, how I got to play I don't I don't recall how but I guess uh, discussed it with dad and we signed up I think I was 10, probably 10 years old. And um, Scarborough had a tackle football league at the time. And I was able to, uh, I was able to get on the team. I think we signed up late, but I got on. And ended up having a lot of fun. It was, uh, actually, at the very end of the year, we had the, uh, we had the reception, and Jim Corrigal was there. Some people <laughs> would, recall, would recall that name. He was a great lineman for the Argos. Big Jim Corridor, and he presented me with the, the MVP trophy. So that was uh, that was uh, that was a fantastic opening year for me, and 
sort of got me on the you know, it was interesting because you, you and I growing up had uh, lots of football exposure with uh, Dad being so instrumental in broadcasting the CFL back in those days. And it was instrumental in terms of why we came to Ontario. He came here to broadcast football. He even had the, the CFTR car with the, with the uh, flashlight on the top. And, um, you know, and I, I remember you playing football and having actual real football equipment on. I, was, I remember being quite impressed with that. Uh, so... Um, I would, obviously I was a year younger and uh, wasn't ready to play yet, but uh, I took a keen interest right after that. So um, yeah, we 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 eventually moved uh, to Mississauga in 1970 71, I believe. And uh, Dad was also pretty instrumental in getting involved in starting up the Mississauga Football League. And, and yeah, go, yeah, yeah. At that time in uh, Lockenbar. Uh, I remember the car. He used to bring home the car, and it said, uh, you know, Voice of the Argos, uh, CFTR, CHFI 680. Uh, <laughs> so, of course, uh, we everywhere we go, we get uh, we get looks from people, but obviously good looks. And uh, uh, the, you know, we were always uh, we always loved to see. We always loved that. But the, then, of course, when yeah, when they moved into we moved to uh, Mississauga, Dad was the uh, Voice of the Argos. Of, we used to go down to the Sini Stadium, and he'd have the car, and we'd be we parked the car right inside the stadium. People wouldn't realize they had, back then they had that huge stage where the you know groups. Uh, that's another story. Groups groups would play Beach Boys, Super Tramp. I, I used to see all them at, at the uh, exhibition stadium. But we would park, he parked the car right in there, right next to the stage, and uh, after the game we would we would go right. We'd head to the head to the car, and we'd drive out, and uh, it was quite the. It was quite the fun times, that's for sure. And then, yeah, we Mississauga Football League. The uh, dad got heavily involved in that. And, as you know, was in the coach, uh, coach with Pete Martin. Pete Martin was also on the broadcast with that as a as a, as a color. And um, I was actually, matter of fact, uh, I run into Pete now and then at Good Life. Won't run into him for a while with all the with what's breaking up with, with the, the virus going on. But um, yeah, I ran into Pete a few times, and just in the last couple of months. And we would talk about uh, the Mississauga Football League and how he coached. And he, he remembered when Dad did the down and out, fell, did yeah. the shoulder. Yeah. He, he remembers going to help him up and Dad saying, oh, no, no, it's the shoulder. So, yeah, he dislocated the shoulder doing a down and out, trying to show a few of the guys uh, how, to, how to run a pattern, of course. But, uh, yeah, lots of fun. But that league, uh, uh, that league was a great league, great development league, too, for all the high schools. Yeah, many, many good memories, fond memories of uh, Mississauga football for myself, for you, and uh, a lot of our friends growing up, a lot of people we still stay in touch with, and, uh, you know, so that was always uh, pretty exciting, and, you know, I I look back at the CNE stuff, too, and I remember going to the games, you and I would go to the games, and because Dad would have to do the uh, the post-game show, you and I would sit down there and all the fans would leave, but we'd be hanging out and the, the players would be coming out and we'd get to see the players up close. We kind of thought that was pretty neat. Um, well, I don't know if you recall, but uh, I'm not sure. You probably were. You might have been with me. I don't know. But there was a game where uh, was waiting for Dad, and, uh, of course, uh, he came down the stairs, but he, he had to go down and do some interviews in the, in the change room. So... We were waiting and waiting, and then Dave Ramey came out. He was one of my favorite players back then, and he came out. Right. And I remember, I always tell the story of people, I remember Dave Ramey coming out, and he had he was dressed in all black like Johnny Cash and had the uh, had a belt on with bullets and 
oh my god I'd never seen anything like it Darth Vader but he uh, I said uh, hey can I get your autograph and he looked at me and he said get it from the rookie son get it from the rookie <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll never forget that uh, and, and, you know those are things you always remember but uh, yeah Dave Rainey great ball player though for the Argos at the time I guess uh, enjoy a little bit of the media stuff that you know dad did and got surrounded by that a little bit so I remember even going on a few trips with him out to Winnipeg to a Blue Bomber game and to Ottawa doing a Rough Rider game so I got to travel around with him and it was uh, yeah it was a lot of fun and uh, so if I fast forward you uh, you uh, were just getting ramped up for football because I remember uh, obviously we went and played high school ball but you went beyond that and played for Mac uh, that was uh, that was a pretty special time for you I, I recall uh, uh, you uh, you were I think the middle linebacker for Mac football and uh, you had a lot of good stories and times there I hear well, you know, how I got to Mac, um, after high school, I did have, um, I was lucky because, uh, you know, a couple of coaches, uh, uh, helped me a little bit with, with talking to some of the, um, some of the, you know, university coaches. I had a couple that were scouting and, and really it was, um, it came down to, um, you know, Western versus McMaster. And I just remember, um, how I made the decision was really, uh, Western gave me a nice tour. Jamie Bone was the quarterback then, and uh, I remember how many people, how many, how many ball players there would be. They were talking about, and I don't know. I guess I made the decision. McMaster was zero and seven for the second year in a row, and um, I think uh, when I heard the numbers that were coming to the camp and everything else, uh, I sort of made a decision that you know if I if I go to McMaster, I might have a chance to play. But I know if I went to Western, they did say if you come to Western, very very. Um, very few rookies would start, and that, of course, right off the bat, that uh, that was it for me. I just did, once I heard that, I thought, no, I got to play football. If I'm going to go, I'm not going to. I could I'm too competitive to sit on a bench. So that's sort of how I went to Mac, and of course, it was a little bit closer. But I um, uh, I was uh, also you remember Pat Colangelo, Pat and I were going to be roommates, and so that <laughs> that's right. Well. I remember helping yeah. moving some furniture into your place there. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and then uh, oh, that that Wooden Hall. Oh my God, it was a story and a half on Wooden Hall. That the, the guys that came from there uh, created the movie Animal House. <laughs> There's lots of stories, lots of stories about that. But yeah, I went to they when I, But actually, Mac, my first year uh, was defensive defensive back. People don't uh, some people were, uh, thought I was all, I was always a linebacker, but then I played defensive back the first year outside linebacker and then moved into the inside linebacker spot just mainly uh, because of my size I mean even when I came out of Mac and tried out for the Argos I was only uh, you know 5'10 188 pounds well, I think I was 196 actually when I weighed in for the Argo camp so uh, they, they a lot of times they didn't really want me in the middle but uh, I loved it in, inside and uh, was in on a lot of tackles and have more fun playing inside linebacker than anywhere of course, size did uh, count towards injuries, and that's—I <laughs> did suffer quite a few of them over the years. But uh, well, you—you mentioned—you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you're too competitive to sit on the sidelines. I think if uh, if I asked probably ten people, uh, you know, what uh, word would sum up uh, Perry Batum, and uh, the one word that would be constant in that group of ten people would be competitive. And uh, I've I've grown up with you, and I can certainly vouch for that. Um, I can go back to times where we were so uh, competing all the time, 
And uh, so I'll backtrack a little bit, get back to when we grew up on Daily Court in Mississauga. Uh, we were always playing street hockey. Uh, we would do the punt and pass uh, uh, with the football in the court, uh, we were constantly doing different outdoor competitive sports and games. But uh, once we got to high school or, be, or finished high school, we we got uh, you got us together and put a team in uh, for ball hockey. And I'm not sure of the year. I think it was like 1983 or 84, and um, we were a pretty competitive team. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll never forget the ball hockey. Um, matter of fact. And, you know, a lot of the guys I talk to uh, today, we talk about, we go back and talk about the old ball hockey league. And, uh, uh, yeah, there was, even I even had a couple of guys, I remember, I don't know if you remember, we had a guy come from uh, McMaster Marauder football team. And I played, <laughs> I played a couple a couple of those guys ended up playing on the, the ball hockey team. Uh, I remember a guy by the name of Jeff Spence. I don't remember him, but he was in Burlington. That's right, I do. He went to Mac with me, so... And of course, the Big E, Ernie, Ernie. So we had some, we did have some guys uh, from McMaster that actually ended up playing in the ball hockey league. And, uh, I think and every, I think every that. year you always recruit a couple of guys that would uh, would help us to get over the next uh, next level. And um, I know we yeah. won a couple of championships, but it was just we were always competitive. We were always right there. We always had a good team and. Uh, uh, you know, it was a it was a lot of fun. We 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 uh, you know we dipped our toe in some broadcasting for the cable ten TV and had fun with that. And those were some good years. I talked to Joe in an earlier podcast, and we touched about touched on about how the ball hockey all went and how those years were a lot of fun. And so I just thought I'd bring that up because uh, I you know again yeah. you're you're a competitive guy at almost anything or I'd say at everything that you do, whether it's uh, cards or golf or whatever. Um, but you just got back from Florida, you know, where you're quarantined for 14 days, but down in Florida, imagine you got a little bit of golf in, a little bit of sunshine down there, you got a nice uh, condo down there. Uh, how is that going? Well, actually, funny part, funny part, uh, uh, talk about competitive, but if we end up playing a couple more sports, they brought in, in the last, uh, last year, they brought in pickleball <laughs> and right. bocce. There you go. And they have these bocce courts, too, so I was uh, actually competitive with, uh, Kathy and I were competitive with Rose and John down there trying to win the bocce uh, tournament, but uh, then the pickleball, um, it's really taken off. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it, and the boy, I got the boys involved. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the pickleball we uh, we had a great time. We started playing it in uh, December, late December when we went down the first time. So I've been down there three times, and all all the time I all the time we end up playing pickleball. It takes its toll, but it's certainly all the squash that I played in my life. My knees are you know took a beating, but this this uh, pickleball um, it's a combination of sort of tennis, um, uh, badminton. Uh, I guess if you you know uh, it's hard to. Uh, describe it but it, it is a really fun game and matter of fact it, it's, it's booming down here because uh, Tyler actually had a friend of his get in touch with him and from he, they played hockey and he said his dad oh he said oh my dad's right into the pickleball and he <laughs> plays in the league in Burlington and I know his dad his dad is uh, uh, unbelievably fit so of course now um, you know I, I said to Ty okay well we gotta get we, you and I gotta get into it play Brandon and his dad so then on the way back, Tyler says, they just got a 
text from Brandy. It says, game on. And June 1st, we're playing. So I don't know if we can play in June 1st with this virus. Yeah, but, we'll see. Uh, I, but I'll have to uh, certainly uh, tie and I'll have to. That pickleball must get a bad rap because uh, every time I bring it up to people, they go, oh, that's an old man sport. But it sounds like more and more wow. people are playing it. So. It, 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 yeah, that's how they're, uh, yeah, they look at it as an old man sport. You know, funny, funny, you know, it started you know, in Florida. They had the, the world championships in Florida. I think Puta Gorda or Puta Gorda down in Florida. And they, um, in, in Naples, they've got like a hundred courts on one, uh, one area. So it's an old, they say it's an old man sport because you see a lot of it in golf courses. And there is a lot of, I mean, even where I go, got, uh, you know, a lot of older people. But, um, a lot of younger people playing it. The problem is, or the challenge is going to be, um, you know, the uh, the clubs are, are going to have to um, maybe do something with with medical because uh, you know there's so many injuries. So when I went down in right. time, the second time I came down in February, uh, they said that there was um, they were very concerned. So they got a league going, and. Um, you know, I couldn't join the league because we were down there full time. But well, the challenge was the injuries. So they were getting a lot of injuries. So yeah, it's an old man's sport, but it, it, some of them are fall, falling uh, like flies. Mm-hmm. I actually, when I was playing, all of a sudden I heard in the back some guy, <laughs> an older guy, uh, older than me, he uh, he he went for a ball and man, he ran into the fence. He was down like down like uh, Kennedy, and he was lying there on the ground. And had three people pick him up, and I, you know, we were sort of we weren't chuckling at the time, but afterwards we were chuckling, saying, "Yeah, you know what? This is going to be a challenge." The old they they have the leagues, they develop these leagues, but there is a lot of guys and a lot of women and men that are getting injured. So well, uh, well, well, hold hold hold, mother, what, hold the thought you, on the. You, you, Hold the thought on the injury because I'm going to come back to that. I want before we before we move away from move away from this though. I don't want to I don't want to lose the, the the football aspect of our conversation because you did you did get out of university and had managed to uh, do a tryout with the Toronto Argonauts and I and I mean not everybody can say that Perry. So I think that uh, it's worth noting that uh, you uh, had that opportunity and uh, I think that's something that's uh, stayed with you for a long time and. Uh, Maybe describe what that was like. Yeah, Dad would say I had a cup of coffee. I had a <laughs> cup of coffee with the Argos. But no, that was uh, certainly a highlight of my life. I mean, uh, you know, getting getting into football uh, at age 10, and then um, the dream, you know, I started to dream about playing in the Canadian Football League. Um, and yeah, it was uh, when I, I went down to the draft, I was told I was going to be drafted by the Argos, and... Uh, it was disappointing. It was great, but it was disappointing just at the end because I didn't get drafted. The Argos had uh, came up to me afterwards, though, and said that they want me to sign a contract, come in next, the following week and sign a contract. So I thought, okay, well, that's great. Uh, that's the second best thing of being drafted. But they did say that they traded. And I know that they, they traded away their last two picks, so uh, too bad. But uh, anyway, that's how it started. And then, of course, I um, attended the camp um, in Guelph University, and um, had a couple of friends of mine there that uh, uh, I roomed with Greg Holmes, who played at Lauren Park against us and Clarkson. And so I knew Greg and, and Jeff Townsend, of course. I knew Jeff from the Streetsville. And so uh, that was great to be there uh, with them. And then, um, yeah, they bust us down for medicals from Guelph to Toronto. And I had a lot of injuries that I had over the years, and certainly one that I had at McMaster that... Uh, uh, it was a bone chip on my neck, and it hadn't properly healed, and 
shoulder right. and yeah. elbow. So they came out, and I, I remember Dad saying that uh, Bob Obilovich, who was the head coach, came up to him and says, I didn't know uh, you were sending us a Vietnam War veteran. <laughs> Dad says, what are you talking about? He said, never seen so many injuries on a guy. He had more x-rays than, than anything. So, uh, yeah, but that's because, you know, played aggressive, also size. I mean, look at the size now. Uh, even yeah. when I went to Mac. At that time in 1979, there was some uh, Mac. Had, Mac did not have a big team. We had linemen that uh, weren't that large. But today, holy cow! I would say back then when I played, the, the average lineman might have been two thirty, two forty. Yeah, now, I mean, it's he, be, now it's like three hundred, even in college. Yeah, you, you were always though somewhat outsized even even at high school level you were somewhat outsized but nobody out hit you you were one of the hardest hitters in in football that uh, and and I, I and I mean having played with you I can say that but I I also talking with other people that have played with you and against you all concur that uh, they they recall if they were going against you they certainly remember getting hit by you you certainly gave uh, put everything on the line when you hit a guy so that you know you you made up for it for for sure well we uh we were going through uh, our little uh, summer uh, touch football this past summer, and uh, there was lots of injuries this past summer, Perry. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, uh, it got to the point where I think Kathy was trying to get me to retire from, from it. Um, I did say, actually, after, after I hurt my ribs, I thought, you know what, I'm not playing anymore. But <laughs> as, soon as, the, as soon as the ribs healed, I was back out there. Game number two, though, after the rib injury was uh, <laughs> then the ankle. Then the oh, that ankle. was a bad one. <laughs> and that was a bad one too. These weren't uh, soft injuries; they were pretty, pretty uh, well. Probably felt worse because of the age factor. But however, I've been uh, helping Johnny O recruit. Uh, we got to look at this year's team now with this going on the virus. I don't know if we'll be. Yeah, I wonder if we'll, we'll even get to play this summer. It'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, who knows? But. Yeah, but we, you know, we're, it's funny because you said that uh, you mentioned the word recruiting, but I was recruiting for the ball hockey. I think my whole life has been around recruiting. Absolutely. Even at work, Absolutely. Uh, you know, through through the insurance and financial industry, uh, not, did a lot of recruiting. And now, after retiring from Sun Life, I, my title, I'm the, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm the, um, Recruiting specialist. Well, let, well, let me let me uh, let me let me let me come to that, Perry. Because what I was going to ask you is that, or just mention uh, to our listeners that uh, you had uh, what I thought was just an outstanding retirement uh, party uh, this past November. Uh, it was a lot of fun, very emotional. Uh, it was great to see so many people out and so many accolades, and uh, you know, going back, spanning over thirty-seven years of with Sun Life. Um, well, mind you, it was a different companies, but basically with the same organization for 37 years, which not too many people could say anymore. But uh, and I and I and I appreciated you uh, inviting me to that, and that was just unbelievable to see all the speeches and uh, you know just an outstanding evening. Um, so again, and and one of the th- common themes of that evening was everybody talking about how competitive you were. But I do remember uh, one of the comments made that probably. Go, probably a record uh, that you hired over your career over 400 career agents and maybe there's nobody that's ever done that and I thought that was phenomenal so uh, I think Jack Garamoni mentioned that in his speech but um, anyways it was just an outstanding evening and so yeah you retired from uh, from uh, Sun Life and, uh, and uh, one of your strongest attributes was recruiting and uh, maybe tell us about what you're doing now 
retirement dinner. Uh, had some people get in contact with me, and um, you know, lo and behold, I ended up talking to uh, Financial Horizons, and I knew a couple of people for a long, long time that uh, were involved with them. A guy by the name of Dave Stewart, uh, well known in the industry, and uh, met with Dave a few times, and and uh, yeah, it was um, <clears throat> ended up being not wanting to retire permanently and got into discussion about, well, what would you want to do? And I said, well, you know, well, my strength was always recruiting, but, you know, knowing the way their system was compared to a career system in the, in the, in the uh, MGA world, they didn't really have recruiters. Uh, but they created a position for me, and they, I'm senior so, so what's your title? recruiting specialist. Senior, senior recruiting specialist. All right. Uh, well, I got that word. I, I, they asked me to, so I got that word senior in there. I don't know if it's, uh, so they asked me what title, but uh, the one title I, 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 I couldn't get, uh, but uh, just because of HR situation. But um, yeah, so uh, recruit, they said, you want to be a recruiting manager, recruiting specialist. I said, well, I don't, I'm not really a, a manager now. So we came up with, uh, how about recruiting specialist? And then we threw the word senior, senior recruiting specialist in there. So, and that's for, I guess, um, for, you know, the GTA in Ontario and actually it can be all across Canada. But anyway, yeah, so that's my new title and uh, having fun with it. But, uh, you know, I started that, was only retired, I guess, officially for about five or six weeks and then uh, got in with them and uh, enjoyed it. But of course, with this uh, situation going on, it sort of slowed things down. However, I am doing some things, even though I'm in, I'm in, uh, uh, captivity here for, for another, uh, I believe we're on day six. So I got nine or uh, eight more days of, uh, of quarantine, of self of quarantine, self-isolation. So. Yeah. A few years back, we, uh, you know, uh, three years ago, unfortunately lost our father, uh, John Batum, uh, it, uh, prior to him passing away, uh, you and I had the, uh, the privilege to go up and, uh, and accept a, an award on his behalf at, uh, down at the Royal York, um, you want to maybe just give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, that was uh, well. That was that was certainly tough because Dad was uh, not able to make it because of the illness. And um, you know, with technology though, he uh, he was at home, and Lindsay and him, I guess, uh, had the iPad out, and he was able to watch the uh, watch the event, uh, watch uh, I guess me and you go up there and accept uh, the, uh, um, the his award on his behalf and. Dad did write a little speech uh, for me, and um, uh, that was uh, pretty pure, uh, pure yeah, journey. Pretty but you know, I actually I added some things to it that I thought would be you know meaningful, and yeah, it was tough. It was uh, I was pretty nervous when you know I've spoken in front of many many people, and even at work, uh, you know, wanting to have 150 people in a room, and that was uh, that was pretty tough because you were you know a lot of people there and. Uh, a lot of great people, a lot of a lot of people that were also being uh, inducted uh, as well, and we met uh, Marjorie, the, uh, the yeah, owner, our GM, yeah, 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 our GM. But I, I, anyway, that was that was tough. I, that was tough. Uh, that was uh, very difficult to hold back the tears, but you know, it was great, uh, and it would have been no, it would have been so much. I think about it all the time. It just would have been so much better if Dad, you know, he was there to accept that, but um, you know, he couldn't. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> wasn't and, uh, that, Yeah, it was tough. Well, you, as you know, you're on you're on there you're on the stage with me, and yeah. uh, it was tough too because Dad's group, one of his best friends, Dick Bradbeer, was up there with us too. And uh, uh, I remember 
uh, you know, I remember the whole thing, and it was uh, it was tough. And then, of course, afterwards, we all drove back to Peterborough, and within a couple, of, you know, within within three hours, we were right we were in the room with Dad, uh, uh, you know, talking about the event. Well, so maybe uh, just touch on touching on Dad's career. I mean, any any uh, memorable time in terms of his career, any event uh, or broadcast, or uh, what stands out in terms of Dad's career for you? Some of the things that stand out are where you and I were the benefactor of. Um, you know, being able to uh, to travel with the Argos a couple of times that was that was great. But I mean, his career was. Uh, I think uh, you, you you know, and you can attest to it. You you picked up on a lot of the uh, cassettes and and uh, and uh, discs that over the years, all the interviews that he's done. I, I mean, when we look at it, at his career totally, I mean, you go, wow. And I tell people some of the ma- incredible people that he interviewed over the years. I think that's probably for him. That was probably the most, I, you know, and all the things I sort of thought about it. He's probably most proud of all the people that he interviewed. You know, where he's the voice of the Argo, doing CBC Sports and all that. <laughs> but I still think I still think uh, he was probably more proud of the people that he interviewed along the way. And I remember um, when he was sick, he did talk to uh, tell me a couple of things. Uh, I never knew the Howard Cosell story, though. That was pretty funny when he was in Europe. And, well, that that, that was he, he'd met Howard at the '76 Olympics in Montreal. Yeah, so, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That was a it's great a story. pretty but, funny uh, story. Yeah. And then, of course, we, uh, you know, the, um, you know, for me, it would have been great, to, uh, you know, if I would have made, you know, caught on with the Argos. He was the voice of the Argos that year. Who knows? That would have been a lot of fun. I'll never forget one one. Um, one broadcast, though, um, and that was in 1971 when uh, you know when uh, Leon McQuay fumbled the football. <laughs> uh, we, I remember being in our basement. Yeah, that's uh, right. At, uh, I do in that. and Daily Court, and we were in the basement. We um, and, and and like we had in the past, we lowered the volume on the um, on the TV and, and put the volume on the radio up and had listened to Dad broadcast it while we watched it. And he broadcasts on the radio, of course. And you know, we all we were all there watching that. And I remember listening to Dad when Leon McQuay dropped, uh, fumbled that football. And of course, as you know today, that wouldn't have been a fumble because the ground the ground cannot make you fumble the football. That's, that's true. What happened yep. to Leon. Yep. So so now Leon, I mean, that was the biggest. Oh, I mean, talk about uh, a downer. I mean, I wasn't that. You know, you and I weren't that old at the time. But uh, I think I was sixteen, and you were probably fifteen. But Boy, what I, I was never—that was the biggest downer of the art by Argo uh, journey uh, throughout all the years. I couldn't believe that was one of the one. I think for a lot of people in Toronto, that one was just yeah. It was, uh, yeah, we, they, that we was a so, one. It was so anticipated for them to win and uh, to have that uh, fumble cost them the game. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you know, lots of lots of memories with the broadcast. I love listening to the broadcast, but. Uh, um, no, I think with that, and then you and I got to go on a couple of trips uh, with with them uh, out west. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, I heck. still have the picture. I still have the picture of Bobby Hull uh, with that. You know, when I I was just going to say the Bobby Hull when you know we we went and uh, met Bobby Hull and uh, when he signed on with the Jets for the WHA. Yeah, that was a great. Yeah, that was a great story. First uh, million dollar well, contract at that time. I show that picture. I've got it on my phone. I show it to people. They have no idea that you know. Some people, oh, that's Bobby Hull, and I said, you know, what, what, what year do you think that is? And you know, 
Of course, we know it was when he was signing, you know, the year 72. He was signing the, signing the, the check with the uh, Winnipeg Jets. But you can tell, if you're looking at the picture, he's outside and he's going up the ramp. I mean, you would never have that today. You could see the, um, the, see the pilot and you could, the, well, you could see the owner of the, of the Jets, a pilot, and then the two uh, airline stews, and they were sitting, you know, there in their uh, dress coat and, but you can tell how the the age of the picture because the plane was there and you you, did, you got into the plane you just went up the steps into the plane so you'd never see that again today but a great picture of Bobby Hall I'll tell you well and of course we would have heard the the interview but uh, you taped over it when you were twelve years old you went on the tape and decided to tape yourself over top of the Bobby Hall interview well I think I think I was interviewing you at the time <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we did that. Anyways, uh, oh, I know that was too bad because I would have, you know, I love Bobby Hull. We were all excited fi- finding the tape that said the Bobby Hull interview on it. We put it in the cassette player, and it's you and I that we taped over it. Oh, oh God, I wonder if Dad even knew that. I don't know. Oh, probably just as good he did, just as well he didn't. Um, it was still labeled Bobby Hull tape. So. Yeah. Well, I I even remember a summertime going up to Bala Muskoka, and Dad was broadcasting uh, the the speedboats oh, up the there. Races. Speedboats, yeah. yeah, and uh, I remember there was a big accident, a big collision, and Dad had to call that out, uh, and uh, that was that was memorable for me for some reason. I remember being there. That was uh, rather tragic. I think they had to cart somebody off. But uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, so you know, the, lots uh, of good memories. I remember. You know what? I remember that. Funny part is, I remember that he was in this booth, and it was what maybe fifteen feet in the air or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Called, called, called the races, and uh, yeah, I'll never. And the other thing I remember about that um, was the smell. I don't know if you recall and the alcohol boats. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah the smell of the uh, like the uh, the ga- the ba- the boats, and it was. Uh, I actually like the smell, to be honest with you. But I'll never forget that smell. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if and they no, still I do that know. today. I don't even know. I, I, you know what? I, I remember. Boy, that. You know that's uh, it looked it looked dangerous and it was dangerous. Now nowadays I look at that and go, wow! I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, we we and we have had so many so many fond memories of uh, remember starting the golf back in the early seventies at the old Glen Abbey and and uh, you know even as we uh, as we got all got older and still playing golf with Dad was always for me was always enjoyable even though it would always end in a a battle of competitive arguments and things, but it was always enjoyable to go out, the three of us, and, you know, we'd always bring a fourth of somebody in there, but it was always a lot of fun, so I miss those days a lot. Yeah, we, uh, you know, a lot of times the fourth one was uh, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Dalton, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, we had some uh, funny times. Some memorable golf outings, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah I'll never forget the Glen Abbey. I remember you had to spend some time in the car at one of the rounds. Yeah. What are you going to do for the next few years? Going to just keep working and keep them busy? I don't know. You know, it's uh, it'll really. Uh, I guess I'll have to see how this first year goes. I mean, for me, going from the career system after thirty, for people that you know, some people would understand that know about the insurance world, but uh, going from a one system to an to another system, it's it's new and it's um, so for me. Um, you know, I used to recruit brand new people to the industry. You know, people that right, uh, yeah. would, would, would not now, really... Now you're going to be looking for experience, I guess. Now I'm recruiting strictly brokers, people that are already licensed 
financial advisors, and uh, it's certainly different. But I have to, I, uh, I will probably figure out, um, at this point in time, I don't have any any plans, per se, beyond this year. I want to see what happens this year, how I how I do in the business this year, and see if this is really what I want to do. Um, because as you know, yeah, I used to, you know, I recruited every year, but uh, my I was a branch manager, financial center manager. I was mostly you know, running large shops, but also uh, managing managers, not just advisors. And so the managing part is totally gone. So, you know, even when I go into the office, I've got to remember, I'm not a manager anymore. I'm strictly recruiting. But so I have to see how that goes. And if I really have a good first year, I enjoy it, then I'll keep doing it. Um, or maybe I'll look and see if I can maybe get into the management part of it again. So at this point, uh, just going to see how this first year um, turns out. And, uh and then sort of go from there. You know, you'd asked me earlier how long the, this uh, podcast goes. We're already 40 minutes in, so um, what I wanted to do, Perry, is what I, and what I typically do would ask my guests to um, pick a song that they wanted to end the podcast on. <laughs> and uh, I thought, rather than ask you that, I thought maybe what we would do is uh, I will... Uh, Go out. We'll go out of our podcast, and I'll uh, I'll play a little bit more a broadcast of some football that Dad did, and and uh, sure. I think uh, that would be enjoyable. What do you think? Yeah, do it that way. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We'll do this again because you and I have lots of stories to sh- to share and talk about. But uh, why don't we wrap this up now? And I appreciate you coming on, Perry. Uh, certainly under the condi- under the situation uh, being both quarantined here and actually not living too far apart. We normally would be face to face, but uh, thanks for doing this over the phone today with me. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Loved it. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, all right, Paul. See you later. The Toronto Argonauts will kick off to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There is a wind blowing. The Argonauts would appear to have the wind. It seems a funny kind of wind whipping around internally in the stadium. For the Tiger Cats to my right at CNE Stadium. The Argonauts to my left. The referee is our old friend number 29 from Montreal, Jim King. And Gibbs Sagan is the line umpire. The back umpire is Bill Dell. The headlinesman is Art Fagey. And the field judge is Bill Jones. And Recession will put the ball on the near hash marks. A la Jerry Organ. But I do not think he will go for the short kickoff. Although they have UTEC over on the far side. Guys who can handle the ball. The Argonauts will try and pull every trick in the book today to win this one. Whether they've got enough with 17 rookies remains to be seen. The ball is up and it is high. Waiting for it is Campbell. He charges at the 15. Drops the ball. 20. He's hit by Francis and dropped at the 25. He charged that ball. It was a little bit short for him. Richardson was one up playing about the 25. A 50-yard kickoff. 11 on your return. And so the Tiger catch. Take it at the 25. Just outside the 25. Closer to the 26. And it's first and 10. And the man that will guide the Hamilton Tiger catch at least to start here. Oh, well, you played with the Don Jonas. Oh, you certainly did, yes, John, did. in 1970. Yes, you did. That long ago, eh, Mike? <laughs> Hopkins and Fleming in the backfield. Jonas, calling signals. Looks for Evanson, gives to Hopkins. First time, he's finally spun off, and he's dropped at the 30, a gain of five. 
It'll be a gain of close to five, make it four, right at the 30-yard line. But, Mike, you pointed out earlier, you didn't elaborate, you felt maybe the Ticats might try and run at the Argos. Well, as they say, they, they put Bob Richardson in as either a slot or a tight end in place of Gary Kuzik, and as a result of having that big man there, I think the primary reason is to shore up that blocking as we see him actually coming out as a tight end along with Tony Gabriel and Terry Evanson being a flanker. Henley wide to the right, Evanson left as Jonas is going back to pass. The rush is on. He looks to the sidelines. He throws deep downfield. Evanson's got it at the 50. He got right up in front of Larry Utek, and the Thai Cats are moving to the 51 is where they're going to mark it on the sidelines. And Mikey had a little time. Joe Moss told me the Argonaut front four has to do the job today. That's the key. That's where it all rests from the defensive point of view is Scott Still wagons, Liggins, and Corrigal. They've got to get in there and break up those offensive plays. First and ten, Ticats. Their own 51 near hash marks. Evans should left. The Argos were away offside. Here's Jonas rolling right. There's some room. He's looking downfield for Henley. There's the throw. High in the air, and it's tipped away by Billy West at the 25. But the Argos will be offside. Jimmy Stillwagon trying to anticipate the call and get that big pass rush that you were talking about, John. Encroached in that line of scrimmage, tried to get back, but Ken Ferguson, the center, very alertly snapped that ball while Stillwagon was still in that area. As a result, Hamilton undoubtedly will take the five yards and have a first-to-five situation on the last play. Billy West doing a fine job of staying with Garney Henley as Jonas tried to hit him deep on that sideline area after having rolled to the right, and West just turned in time to get a hand on the ball to deflect it away. Because had he missed it, of course, Garney was well inside Argonaut territory. Now the ball at the Argonaut 54, where it'll be first and five. Again, the backs are in tight, and Jonas calls signals. The ends in tight. That's Gabriel and Richardson. Jonas on first and five is gives to Fleming. The Argonauts wagon had him at the 55, but he barely gets back to the line of scrimmage, so it's really no gain. Argos are setting up defensively very much against the run. They've got both defensive ends uh, on almost each play very wide for that pass rush and taking the linebackers, outside linebackers, to the inside. So they have a lot of su linebacking support in terms of any uh, running between those two offensive tackles. Got Henley wide to the right. Billy West covering him defensively. Evanson to the left. Second down. Four and a half to go. Jonas rolling right looking for Henley. Rolls out. Henley's open, but there's the chase on Jonas out of bounds. He does not have that first down. Good job by Corrigal getting outside and running him out of bounds right back at midfield. So there's an actual loss on the play back to mid, back to the 55-yard line. And the Ticats will be third down and about six to go. Excellent job by Corrigal because Hamilton kept Tony Gabriel in at the tight end, blocking on Corrigal, forcing him wide, and it also pulled Ed Chalupka from the left guard. So they were really double-teaming Corrigal in effect, but he was able to string it out and force Jonas to that sideline area when the secondary done a good job of coverage to that side. High snap. Sunder gets it away. Third good kick. Waiting for it is Wayne Allison back at the 10. He takes it, looks into the sun, and is wiped out at the 14. And so the Tiger Cats sit on the defense of the Argonauts offensively with first and 10 at their 14. The Argonauts with Mike Ray leading the attack will try and get something going. 
think Mike Ray, John, in the last number of games has come on offensively. Even in the Calgary game, the Argonaut offense had been a lot sharper, particularly in their passing game. We saw them do very well in that first half against the Stampeders. It was more a defensive letdown, and that has been their strength throughout most of the season, but it was more the defense that let down last week, I felt. Wide to the right is Chuck Hurd, even his left, but not that far out. Eye formation, Ray calling signals, turns back to Doyle Orange, inside Bulls his way, still going, breaks up to the 19-yard line. Good effort by Doyle Orange. He just couldn't get that extra step to get outside or slash back into the middle as Al Brenner finally made the tackle on the play. It'll be a gain of five and second down and five. Outstanding balance. It appeared that Orange had been stopped just about the line of scrimmage as they went off that right side testing Larry Brayman, Ezo Bibbs, the defensive end of that area. It seemed to be jammed up, but somehow he maintained his balance and picked up five where there appeared to be very little. Hands are in tight. That's Mueller and Simpson. Hurd is wide to the left, even right. Eye formation, second down at five. Ray calling signals. Calls, gives to Shuttlesworth. Left side diving. No, sir, forget it. Shuttlesworth, who has not broken out for anything more than his so-called average kind of running, is stopped at the 23-yard line, and the Argonauts will be third down and a good yard and a half to go, and they'll be punting. No point. You're not going to gamble here or do anything foolish. They were going in that second and five situation, John, against the strength of the Hamilton defense. Their top defensive man, Fred Grambo, is the tackle of that side, along with Mike Samples at the end. But most importantly, they always take their, their strong side linebacker, Larry Brame, put him to the same side that Peter Mueller lines up on. Had they gone back to Larry Simpson's side, they would have been running at the weaker side in terms of the tackle and defensive end, and also Bobby Krause, effective in pass coverage, but not as strong against the run. And recession punting. Third down. Gets a wobbly ball. Charging it at his walker. He's going to take it at the 50. He goes outside to midfield and is hit back. Stopped at the 54. And so the Hamilton...